Management Edge 2023. And today my guest is Liang Zha, the CEO of Vansory, also founder of Tiger Collective. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Johnny. Yeah, I am really excited to talk. We have met over Zoom and we've emailed, but never like spoken face to face. So I'm always like excited to have face to face podcast interviews with with new people. So we're going to talk about like PR, getting attention, growing your fintech and your advisory firms. Like, I think this is going to be a fun chat. So you want to get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Also, meeting an IRL really is fantastic after just looking at each other from the computer screen for so many years. And yeah. so thank you for making the trip down. Yeah. And where I'm so happy for us to be having this conversation from sunny California. No, we're not in California. Sunny Florida. Sunny Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Florida. It's Florida. so nice. It's so nice. Um, you know, I get confused with Hollywood, you know. We are. We're in Hollywood, yes, Florida. We're in Hollywood, Florida. Literally not California. confuses me the entire time I'm here. Like when I'm booking my travel and everything, it's like my brain doesn't work right it stops working you have to be really intentional yeah. about yeah, really... putting in fl because <laughs> it won't work if you don't correct i think you're in california so yeah anyway let's talk about some pr let's do it so advisors fintech companies obviously they love getting attention through pr they love talking to the press having their name out there in the media uh, and you you guide your clients on how to best get out there and get in front of journalists with stories. So, like from what you're seeing right now, what stories are resonating best? Or maybe a better way to say it is like, how do you craft a story that's really going to resonate with a journalist? Yeah, fantastic question. I feel like I need to maybe take a step back from it first and kind of give you a little bit background in terms of how I think about PR, like my yeah, background in let's it. Dig into it. So I'm Chinese by birth. We are Asian American family, uh, you know, with the immigrant story, mm-hmm. and um, you know, public relations really wasn't on my roadmap of careers at all. Uh, it was lawyers, doctors, mm. really. Chinese medicine doctors because that's what my parents were and they really wanted me to just take over the family business. Oh wow. That's a lot of pressure when you have a family business. Yes, exactly. Did you feel that? Yeah. Definitely. And I rebelled in many ways as a teenager. <laughs> and not going into it's the family business is one of them. Teenager, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but my career path really brought me to financial services and fintech um, through an internship that I had in college working at the receivables exchange. Companies no longer exist. Hmm. But the firm was so amazing as it opened up my mind to the world of fintech and what it meant to be talking about niche financial products mm-hmm. um, and create awareness from really ground zero. Yeah. And when throughout my career, when I went to work for a larger organization, you know, the focus were really only on a few select executives at the company rather than, you know, your head of sales or, you know, other types of functional managers. Um, And what really surprised me then, and this was about seven, eight years ago, was that the amount of media of attention that high level executives at these large firms were getting Hmm. paled in comparison to what fintechs 
financial advisors and venture capital as well as private equity firms were getting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand why. And so that was actually one of the key drivers for me wanting to get into the industry was trying to understand how is it that these startup companies, these individuals were getting so much PR attention uh, rather than established big name players, you know, plenty yeah. of acronyms and, you know, uh, what are they called? The designations the behind designations. their names. Exactly. Yeah. The designations yeah. behind their names. Um, and, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of fintech companies, well tech companies, venture capital investors, private equity investors uh, mm-hmm. over the past seven years or so. Um, and just consistently, one of the things that always rings true when it comes to journalists thinking about individuals as well as stories that are meaningful mm-hmm. um, is what is the impact of the individual or the company will have on their specific audience. Sure. And so I was understanding what is the size of the audience and market that each individual or company is looking to address. Mm-hmm. Um, what are their specific challenges? What is your company's role in addressing those challenges? And exactly how much impact are you actually making for this group of individuals? Yeah. And fintech is all about democratization access and about accelerating access. Yeah. And so... You know, we're in this really phenomenal time where with embedded mm-hmm. finance as well as, you know, neobanks as well as other types of wealth tech companies to really make a lot of impact in a very short amount of time. Hmm. And so once I understood that, I understood why fintech was getting a lot of attention. I understood yeah. why wealth tech companies were getting a lot of attention. And when it comes to fintech founders, their executive team, as well as financial advisors, everybody is an expert. Everybody is a thought leader in their industry. Mm-hmm. Everyone is making life-changing, generational wealth-altering decisions for their audience. And yeah. so when that's happening, it's really important for them to share with the broader audience what they're doing. Yeah. And so one of the things that you know companies need to be really thinking about is as they're framing their expertise on paper, when they're connecting with reporters mm-hmm. is to really communicate exactly how impactful what they're saying and what they're doing actually is. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing you say is like, put your clients first and everything else follows after that. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. I, the, we, we don't dabble at all in PR. Like we're just pure digital marketing, but having said that every once in a while, like, I'll write a press release for somebody or something. And what I am always trying to steer people away from is they're like so excited to talk about the milestone or the good news or whatever that happened to them. And I'm like, well, you can't, you know, it's not a good story if you're just pushing out a release that's like, hey, we hit this number of users or we released this new product, right? It's always about the story of like, who's actually going to benefit from it? That's exactly right. It's fantastic you have that user account. It means that, there was value in your product. Mm-hmm. And so let's unpack sure. that a little bit. Yeah. Like, why did they sign on? Yeah. And exactly what is it going to do for them? Those yeah. are the things that effective communications should right. communicate. Right. Um, and it will not only garner interest from your audience, mm-hmm. they will have buy-in and be like, that's my company. I work with them. Yeah. But also investors will see it and they'll see positive signals. Mm-hmm. And then also for you and your own company, you're able to really lean into it as internal communication, internal motivation, that what it is that they're doing on a day-to-day really matters with people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can kind of inspire your own team with it, too. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're at Edge 2023. Um, pretty great conference so far, I think. I've had some good conversations. I think you, you have too. Yeah. Um, what would you say are the opportunities you're seeing right now for companies with using events as part of their growth strategy, right? Like events can mean a lot of different things, right? It can mean webinars. It can mean like in-person things. It can mean big conferences like this. How do you see that playing a part of of the growth strategy for clients that you work with? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think we're at this interesting inflection point of various market changing factors kind of all coming into play at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're all coming out of COVID. People want to get to events. Yeah. But at the same time, we just had a financial downturn or like a fintech downturn for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Finance downturn as the government stopped handing out money. Uh, we're teetering, you know, when I say teetering, I mean, we're in a recession. Let's yeah. be real. Yeah. We're in a recession. <laughs> we can stop like second guessing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's I think the Fed confirmed it. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, all these market making factors are really at play here. And mm-hmm. companies, everybody's coin purses are tight. Right. And it's it's really hard to, you know, shell the big bucks to sponsor events like they used to or, you know, have boat parties, even for Bitcoin Miami. Mm-hmm. I had friends who went and they said that, you know, attendance was down by a good mm-hmm. two thirds. Yeah. There were no fantastic boat parties like prior years. Yeah, what a bummer. And so, right? <laughs> well, not that I was invited, no, but. <laughs> no, I haven't been on that many boats in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, in terms of what's the opportunity as we look into 2023, is that, you know, a lot of firms at this point have already made their budget cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was at the end of last year or early this year. And that means their plans for 2023 and perhaps even leading into 2024 is already set. Hmm. And we can tell which companies are keeping what aspects of their marketing spend, whether that's content, mm-hmm. SEO, or PR. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the events, you know, there are less individuals who are coming here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that less people are sponsoring different various events. So what does that mean to really be able to gain an edge mm-hmm. in the event world, or in the adoption of events? Yeah. Is to bootstrap different points of connectivity with your audience, whether that means hosting your own webinars mm-hmm. or, you know, city-specific networking events in mm-hmm. a smaller format. Mm-hmm. Um with your audience, your customer base, or your investors, those type of points of connection add a lot of value. Yeah. Additionally, events are really a great place to shine a light on case studies or people as well, hmm. um, where you're able to build this FOMO effect, if you will. Sure. Um, yeah. Where other people are like, oh my gosh, they got some extra attention. Yeah. Like Johnny... Like, thank you so much for the spotlight. And Mm -hmm. people are going to have very positive Mm -hmm. things to say about the event, about the actual award and the recognition. And in terms of reputation building and credibility, that goes like a long ways because coming out of this, I'm going to talk about your podcast. I'm going to talk about how this is one of the things that we did together and promoted on social. And in terms of cost to produce is probably very low compared to you know oh yeah spending money yeah. for a booth here absolutely at edge so yeah. 
you know, there's so many different ways to kind of tap into the events world as well as digital marketing. Um, And we didn't even talk about social media, which is one of the cheapest things to do um, in terms of creating events and building community too. What about like, so on events on social media, like, I mean, LinkedIn lives or going live on YouTube, doing things like that. Is that an opportunity? Do you do you see that as like a greenfields or is that too, too niche of a piece of a social media strategy? I think it depends on your audience. If you know for a fact that your audience are all on LinkedIn, then that's mm-hmm. definitely a platform of focus. But we also have to keep in mind that, you know, within the B2B space, a lot of fintech decision makers are all very busy. Yeah. And so how much time do they actually have to really be watching LinkedIn Live? Yeah. And so you have to think about it from that standpoint of what is your end goal with the content that you're creating and Mm. the going and the LinkedIn Live sessions or, uh, you know, even Instagram Live sessions that you're going to be doing is what do you end up doing with the content are you looking for the number of individuals that are attending these events on linkedin live or are you really more so using it uh as a multi-prong social media strategy where you're more so generating content by going live but afterwards really though what you're going to be doing is breaking it down into sound bites putting it on additional social media mm-hmm. and then re- putting it on YouTube and really distributing it far and wide yes. and also writing a blog post from it. Um, and then also using the opportunity to engage with those who were gracious enough to actually attend the event, ask you questions because yeah. those who do attend and ask you those questions, that's a gift mm-hmm. to understand what the market is thinking, what your audience is thinking about. And so That's how right. are you going to like really use those questions that they also shared with you in a meaningful way? Yeah. Are you going to create additional content from it? Are you going to put that in your newsletter? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that events really are, I guess, to kind of wrap up what I'm trying to say here <laughs> is <laughs> events are really important, yeah. but there needs to be a level of intentionality behind why certain events are do- are, are, are happening or you're spending money or time doing them. and. People need to be more creative and thoughtful about how do you turn a single event Mm -hmm. into a multi-stage marketing and PR initiative that has a longevity to it. Yeah, I love that. You're like getting into one of my professional passions here, which is like content distribution and like repurposing content. And we could talk for this for like hours, but I do want to talk about Another initiative that that you started. So you're CEO of Ansari. You're also a founder of Tiger Collective. And I think this is a super important, really cool thing you're doing. So I want to give a lot of time to this as well. So Tiger Collective, you're aiming you Tiger Collective aims to elevate Asian women in tech to help them attain more leadership positions, right? So this I mean, exactly just, right. just tell me more about this initiative. Um, educate us on on what you're trying to do here and like you know, over the next, I guess, like five years with that, what's success look like for you with um, with with what you're trying to do here? Absolutely. I thank you for bringing that up. Um, Tiger Collective and the initiative and a mission and something really close to my heart. Um, so I'll start off with a little bit of a stat. So one in every 45 white men in the United States are in a leadership role. Hmm. One in 60 white women are in a leadership role. 
It is one in every 124 Asian women is in a leadership role. Black and Asian women are the least likely to be promoted in organizations into leadership. And it has to do with bias, discrimination, lack of awareness, and also the model minority myth that we're doing okay. And so Hmm. if we look at broad numbers, we are doing okay. Asian Americans in this country out earn Mm -hmm. the majority, like the, the, the median American family. Yeah. A household income is about 94000 for an Asian family. That's about 41% higher than a usual American household. Hmm. And so there's this myth that we're okay, we're doing okay. But the thing is, the majority of tech workers in this country are all Asian Americans. Yet, less than 2% of venture funding goes to women and women of color. Mm-hmm. And minorities overall, less than 3% of venture funding actually goes to people of color overall. Hmm. And the other issue that comes up is the fact that with Asian Americans in America, um, we are not necessarily a part of the majority, but mm-hmm. we're also not necessarily recognized as a part of the minority as well. And sure. typically we're at this cuffs of, depending on the argument, like it might make sense to include us, it might not. Mm. Even major publications, when they put out polls on whether or not Democrats and Republicans think that there is a discrimination issue against Asian Americans or against different groups of people, uh, Asian Americans are actually excluded from the survey. I'm not going to name names. Yeah. No. I mean, I've noticed that type of thing, too. Yeah. 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 It's it's usually black and brown, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily yellow. It's not Asian yeah. Americans. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think because of this and having been in PR now for numerous years and seeing it, hmm. the level of discrimination and the attacks that really happened as a result of Asian hate, as well as coming out of the demographic, uh, the pandemic really was like the driving force. Uh, behind Tiger Collective. Hmm. So with Tiger Collective, what we're really looking to do is elevate Asian women in technology. My background's in financial services, so I can't leave that out, and fintech as well as financial services. Yeah. Um, and so we want to fortify Asian women as founders and leaders. Mm-hmm. And this year in 2023, we'll be launching a podcast this summer where we're highlighting the stories of Asian American women in technology that are in leadership roles as their founders so that we start to normalize these type of conversations. We start normalizing Asian women seeing themselves in leadership roles, yeah, the community seeing them in these roles, but mm-hmm. also allies and others who are outside of this world and see them as effective leaders too, because awareness and being able to spot talent is also something else that's very necessary yeah. because Asian women, there's a wide spectrum of personalities and leadership styles, just like anyone else. Yeah. So we cannot be bucketed into certain ones you know, we can't all be tiger parents. We can't all be submissive women. Mm-hmm. We can't also all be loud, too. Yeah. So it's nuanced, and mm-hmm. that needs to be normalized, and yeah. people need to be hearing these stories. So what we'll definitely be doing is making sure that people are explaining the origin and the story behind their names, 
because they're too That's often cool. that we kind of skip over how Asian names sound or what's the background. And with yeah. the recent Wall Street Journal or New York Times story around the colony of Connie, um, that's really cool. But, you know, there's so much history and mm -hmm. culture behind that. Yeah. And then also, you know, with the podcast, we'll be also asking women to brag about something that they're really proud of, but yeah. also um, share one topic or one share one ask that they have, either it's personal or professional, mm -hmm. and how they can actually achieve greater success in their roles, hmm. because those are all things we're not comfortable doing. So, yeah. yeah. So it's that's the goal. But in terms awesome. of five years, you know, we love to be able to grow the community. I'm going to put out these numbers here today for the first time, but love to be able to grow this community to 100,000 individuals in five years. Amazing. I would also love for us to have, you know, published, I guess that's 52 uh, in five years. You know, the goal would be about over 250 episodes. Okay. That's my goal. Yeah. So I'm going to put that out there today. Awesome. I yes. love it. So one a week. <laughs> I love it. I <laughs> love it. I'm in full support of yeah. Of and then doing that. Yeah. who knows? Maybe yeah. this will have the opportunity to grow and flourish into something else where it becomes mentorship program, uh, maybe a gala or two, maybe yeah. even venture capital. Well, who's we'll we'll see how it goes. But you know, I think that community creating community and a safe space for people with similar backgrounds and mm -hmm. hardships to come together and be able to talk about it, but also be able to do it in a joyful way, in a celebratory way, and yeah. also create dialogue, but also support mm -hmm. um, so that people are able to accomplish their future goals. It's very much necessary. Do you have a name for that podcast or are you not ready to talk about it yet? Is it too early to drop it? You know, there are a few <laughs> things in the works right now, but... Um, it's a little too early. Okay. Once you have it, let me know. We'll make sure that, that that's something that we talk about. And I we'll have it. you back again to talk That'll about that. That'd be awesome. That. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Okay. So last question, and then I'll let you get back to your uh, your conference activities here. So we're at Wealth Manager and Edge. What do you think are kind of the, the, the core the core things that fintechs need to do to get an edge in 2023? I think that there is a massive amount of opportunity in the media landscape right now. Mm -hmm. As companies pulled back on marketing spend in the past year, that also included content and SEO as well as mm -hmm. public relations. Mm -hmm. And that also means reporters are getting pitched less. It means that they are starting to reach out for sources and stories and you know, I would say that things are normalizing a little bit, like pre-pandemic levels type of reporting, uh, even though we have had numerous uh, newsrooms report layoffs, if not shutting down. Mm. Um, but I think that one of the biggest opportunities is for fintechs as well as advisors to be scrappy when mm. it comes to mm -hmm. how they generate awareness and how they engage with their communities. So, you know, events are a great way to do that. Podcasts, webinars, just really bring people together is one of the biggest opportunities. And also, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation around how do you really ensure that you have the best chance of getting yourself covered in the media, mm -hmm. you know, really t 
take the time to understand what it is that your audience, your customers are going through right now. Everybody's going through a hard time right now for various reasons. And, you know, this is a time to listen, to reach out and to say, you know, what else is happening um, in your life beyond what it is, what is beyond like the transaction that we have, like build that meaning, deeper, meaningful relationship, understand what are their issues? And also think about how can you better address them either through content or your product. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, by leading from a place of empathy will not only ensure that the culture within your organization is much more aligned, much more mission driven, but also yeah. you're able to tell a much more compelling story to the reporter and the media too. And it'll, Produce something that will really resonate and be evergreen. Love it. Lead with empathy. I love that phrase as a grounding principle for everything about business, but marketing and communications especially. Yes. It's great. Awesome. Leong, thank you so much for joining me today. It was like so great to to chat about these things with you and like best of luck as you get Tiger Collective and your podcast going here. Thank you. Appreciate it, Johnny. 